Let's turn back to the chapter we had, Ephesians, and chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Taking in verses 10, of course, down to verse 20 of the chapter. Just taking the first two verses, 10 and 11 for our text, but of course taking in the whole section. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and verse 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and so on, down to verse 20. We come to a text this evening that we have all heard, I'm sure, countless times. I've been here before in this very pulpit, and we said the same thing about other texts. We were here before a few months ago, and we looked together at Psalm, or part of Psalm 23, and we said the same thing then. But these texts, which we all know so well, I'm sure we could all rattle off uh, the, the, the elements as to the, the armor of God quite easily. We had it in Sunday school, didn't we? We had it growing up. Some of us did drawings of it. I still have some somewhere in a folder from Sunday school days. Whilst it's good, of course, to know parts of Scripture so well, it also brings with it, doesn't it, a danger. We become overly familiar with what we're reading. When it comes to our section here this evening, there's actually a danger. We're not just saying this to be dramatic. There's actually a danger for us as Christians in not fully listening and perceiving, understanding what it is we're actually dealing with in these verses. See, in these verses, we're not just here to, to build up the picture of what it is to, to, to be fully equipped in God's armor. Of course, that is the central point. The question we often perhaps miss is, why do we actually need the armor? It's all good knowing what the armor is, and we'll cover that, we'll we'll look into that shortly. But really the question is, and the question for us this evening is, why do we need the armor? Well, we know the answer, don't we? We know the answer. We have the answer in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In this section, of course, Paul is writing, as we know, to a church in Ephesus. And like many of these young and small churches, Paul would, would write his letters to Ephesus, found themselves, Ephesian Christians, found themselves in Ephesus, a place where there was, we know, of course, elsewhere in Scripture, there's no time for us this evening, but it's a good study. Uh, the life of the church in Ephesus is a great study. They, they lived as Christians. They ministered. They sought to share the gospel in a place that was so full of evil. The town, the city of Ephesus, was known for its idol worship, known for its, its very rich culture of pagan idolatry. So Paul writes these warnings to be prepared to fight against the devil in the armor of God. He's not just saying it to, to be theologically interesting to these Christians. He's not just saying it to, to paint a nice picture for them. He's saying to it to them because they need to hear it. They are actually facing real spiritual danger every second of every day of their lives whilst they seek to serve the Lord in Ephesus. And here's a danger for us this evening. 
we come to this place and we come to this chapter. And because we're here on a Sunday evening, because we're here as part of even our routine as Christians, we perhaps be a wee bit to our shame, a bit blasé, a bit, a bit easy-ozy about what we're actually reading, what we're actually seeing. What Paul presents here, what the Spirit working through Paul, of course, presents here, it's nothing short of military instructions. This is military instructions for us as Christians as we're reminded this evening that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. Now, that was true for the Christians in Ephesus. It is true for the Christians this evening in Barvis. Brothers and sisters, at this moment and in this place, you and I, as the Lord's beloved people, we are engaged truly and actually in spiritual warfare. At this moment, as we gather together to worship the Lord, as we read and look at his word, we are engaging in serious and real and active spiritual warfare. We're not here just for the sake of it. We're not reading these passages just to try and glean something from it. We are here to learn this evening through the work of the Lord what we are to know as we come face to face with the reality of evil, the reality of evil opposition to the work and the person of our Lord. Do not, dear brother, dear sisters, do not underestimate the enemy. Don't underestimate his power, and we'll see that in a second. Do not underestimate his tactics. Don't underestimate his willingness to attack. And we'll see later on that the power of the enemy, the tactics of the enemy, that they are unmatched by us. But they are nothing, of course. Nothing compared to the power, the eternal power of our Lord. First of all, looking though at the enemy, we have just three very general uh, headings for ourselves this evening, looking at verses 10 down to verse 20. First of all, we can see the enemy in verses 10 down to verse 12, the enemy. Uh, then verses 13, roughly down to verse 17, we can see the equipment. And then finally, uh, verses 17, 18, down to verse 20, we can see the encouragement. So the enemy, the equipment, and the encouragement. Starting, as we said, verses 10 down to verse 12 with the enemy. If we're saying this is our, as it were, marching orders, the question then is, well, what is the enemy? Or who is the enemy? Who are we facing? What does he look like? What skills does he have? We have to, of course, know what it is we're, we're dealing with. And Paul gives us quite a short, but also, if we're honest, quite a, a terrifying look into the power and the reach and the ferocity of our enemy. Let's look at verses 10 into verse 12. We can see that, that Paul doesn't, as a word, sugarcoat. He doesn't try and tell the Ephesian Christians that things aren't as bad as they think. The reality is things are worse than they can even begin to realize. Dear brothers, dear sisters, have no doubt the enemy is on the move. The enemy is on maneuvers. The enemy is on the attack. The reality is he never stops his maneuvers. He never stops the attacks. 
The enemy has been on the move since he was first cast out of heaven uh, in eter- well, not eternity past, but in, in time past, uh, in time before our understanding. Someone after creation, we know he was cast, as it were, from heaven, sent away, cast out. From that very moment till now, he's been working his works against the Lord, trying to, at least. To begin to look at verse 10, we are reminded first and foremost that something that every Christian here knows, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know this yourself, but how often we all forget it. When we come to face up with this enemy, we have zero power. Zero power in and of ourselves. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Not for a second, as Paul tells these Ephesian Christians, uh, be strong in, in, in my advice, be strong in your own works, be strong in, in how well you've come on as Christians. No. From the youngest Christian here in our faith to the oldest Christian here in your faith, it makes no difference. We are dealing with something, with someone so far beyond our power, so far beyond our strength. So what do we need? We need strength and power and a source of strength and a source of power far greater than ours. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We put on the power of the Lord. So we'll see in a second uh, the armor, the equipment the Lord gives us. But we must put it on. He's provided it for us. As we face off this enemy, as we face the evil one who at this moment is prowling as it were, who at this moment, dear brothers, dear sisters, is seeking for a way into this place, seeking for a way in to distract you this very moment from your place before the Lord, from your love for the Lord, from your trust in the Lord, and so on and so on. As you face all these realities against the evil one, you must and I must do so with you in the strength and in the power and the might of the Lord. The Christians here, if we're honest, we'll confess, many of us, I'm sure all of us will confess, but our times as Christians, when we do our own thing, don't we? We think, well, I've done quite well now. I can, I can do this bit myself. And our prayer life begins to ebb away. Our Bible reading or listening, however it is we do it, begins to, to stop. Not on purpose. Just we, we, We're quite confident things are going okay. Life is good. But slowly but surely, we begin to realize and to think for ourselves that I have might. I have strength. I, I can fight this enemy now. And how quickly does that just fall to bits? Fall to bits. The second the enemy turns to face, we realize we have nothing without the Lord. Nothing without the power, the strength of the Lord. And the Lord knows that. And because our God is gracious, because our God does not send us into battle, as it were, uh, without caring and thinking for us so carefully first, he has given us this armor. He has given us all the equipment we need to fight the enemy. Only in standing in the full power of the Lord do we actually face the enemy. 
Well, how, how bad can it really be? How bad can the enemy be? You're a bit dramatic, aren't you? Standing up there talking to the enemy as if he's some kind of danger to me. There's a, there's a real problem, dear brothers, dear sisters, in our lives at times. And although perhaps we wouldn't quote all of C.S. Lewis, and he has many things perhaps we wouldn't want to quote from a pulpit, but he has some very good and quite clear points he would make in some of his writings. And C.S. Lewis often, in his lectures, but also in his book, or books, I should say, he often pointed out the fact that Christians always tend, almost always tend to go one way or the other when talking and dealing with the enemy. Many Christians pretend he isn't there at all. Many Christians live a life pretending, they of course believe the devil is real, scripture tells us that, but they live a life that just doesn't think about him. He's there, whatever, fine. It's not real. It's real, I believe it's real, but it doesn't actually matter. They just, eyes forward, ignore the reality around them. Because the other extreme is the Christians who spend their whole lives terrified of the evil one, their whole lives obsessing at times about the evil one, which, of course, is its own problem. And in Scripture, of course, we see, as you expect, a solid balance. On one side, Scripture makes clear he is real, he is prowling, he seeks to kill and steal and destroy, to distract and to distress all that we have and all that we are. But at the same time, we'll see in a second, Scripture also makes clear that he is no match to the one whose power we work and move and live in. The one whose power is in his people. The one whose power conquers the evil one. So before we come to that power, what else do we see about the evil one from these verses? What else do we learn about the enemy? In verse 11 and verse 12, we see a few facts, a few more facts about this enemy we're facing this evening. At the end of verse 11, Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand what? To stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. As we hear so often, there is no wasted words in Scripture. And the word scheme there, it is vital for us to understand and to acknowledge and to see what that word is telling us. Stand against the schemes of the devil. See, the enemy has active measures against us. Like the military around it, like, like our own military, we have active measures. The enemy isn't random in his attacks. The enemy isn't just hoping and trying his best. No, the enemy has real schemes, real tactics. The same word used there in, in the Greek, it's the same word that we see outside of Scripture used, of course, in the day. For, for tactics, war tactics. The devil has tactics. Dear brother, dear sister, you face an enemy and I face an enemy. We face an enemy this evening who is ancient. An enemy who is older than us. An enemy who has seen humanity, who has seen your grandparents and your great-grandparents who has seen your people from the start, an enemy who has seen all of humanity from humanity's start, he knows everything 
basically there is to know about what it is to be human. He is ancient. An enemy that is powerful. An enemy that is logical. We see that here for word schemes. An enemy that is logical, but is tactical. It's a mistake to think the, 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 the evil one is somehow silly or, or, or stupid. He is not. He is tactical, logical, ancient, powerful. And he's prowling just now, as we know, like that lion. He is on, as we said, as our active uh, maneuvers. Uh, and the reality is here, as we, as we see again and again, we are facing levels of evil, verse 12. You know, Paul reminds the Ephesians, we're not warring against flesh and blood, no. It's against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the image we have in verse 12, of rulers and authorities, and that list of, of, of authority, it paints a picture for us of layers of evil, of levels, we could say, of, of almost levels of command, you could say. Again, the evil one is organized. The evil one is real. And the evil one has under his power so many, so many ones willing to do his work. Rulers, authorities, darknesses and structures of evil over us we have no understanding, no concept about. But they are there and they are here. We're not saying this to to frighten ourselves. This is not just some make-believe thing we're saying. It is here in front of us. In the Word of God, the Word of God tells us we are fighting against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness. All that is gathered against the worship of the Lord in this place, at this time, at this very moment just now. And note the wording again of Paul. We must be ready to do the work that needs to be done. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Every instruction here, every verse here, and we'll see this more in a second, it's full of what we call imperatives. I know for many of us, myself included, when you hear grammar be mentioned, the, the, the brain turns off, but it's important we understand this. These verses are littered with imperatives. What does that mean? Well, it tells us that these are instructions, but, but more than that, in the context of it being military uh, wording and military imagery, they are commands. Verses 10 to 20 are littered, they're full of God giving commands to his people. That first command, be strong, it's a command. It's an imperative, it's a command. Put on the whole armor of God. That put on, it's a command. It's not a suggestion from the Lord. The Lord is telling us this evening, brothers and sisters, we must be ready. Be strong, put on the armor. These commands take us to verse, uh, verses 13 to verse 17. 
we begin to see the equipment the Lord gives us as his people. So we've seen the enemy. The enemy is strong. The enemy is powerful. The enemy is ancient. The enemy is ready and more than willing and has greater desire than you have to do his will, to do the enemy's plans. He will carry his plans out. He will not tire. He prowls around like a roaring lion. But praise the Lord, we're not stopping there. If we stopped there, we'd have no hope, would we? We in our limitations, we who know ourselves how weak and how fragile we are, how useless we are, and even withstanding our own sin, never mind the, the power of this evil one. The Lord cares for us. The Lord doesn't leave us, of course, on our own. And we see the beauty of verses 13 down to verse 17, where we see the equipment that God gives his people to deal with and to fight against the enemy. Because of a glorious truth, and if nothing else for this evening, brothers and sisters, remember that when God calls his people, God also equips his people. We've heard that before, but it's a truth we often forget. When God calls his people, he equips his people. When God calls us to face the enemy we've just described, this fearsome, ancient, powerful, truly terrifying enemy, God then equips us to face him. He gives us everything we need. And for all we've said about the enemy, for all the truth we've said about the evil one, don't forget he will have his end. Hell will be prepared for him. He'll be cast into it. He has fallen already from heaven. We've been cast out already uh, from the presence of the Lord. And the day is coming and soon approaching when the enemy will be cast into hell. He is a created creature. For all his power, for all his ferocity, for all his ancient tactics and plans, for all his evil logic and schemes, he is a created creature who ultimately has no power over the one who gives us the armor, who gives us the equipment we see in these verses. So day is coming and he'll be cast into hell, but that day is not yet. So what happens in the meantime when we're called in these verses to face the enemy, to come before and to face him on the battlefield of our lives? How can we begin to face him? How can we begin to have any confidence that we'll be safe before him? Well, our gracious and loving God, as I said, he equips the ones he calls. And he's called you, dear brother, dear sister, he has called you this evening to face this evil one, to face, and to face the evil one in the power of the Lord. Takes us to these verses. Again, verses we know so well, but, but verses we shouldn't uh, begin to uh, just to glance over. Therefore, take up, in verse 13, uh, the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. 
It's a lovely image in verse 13, that word take up again. It's quite beautiful if you imagine it. The instruction there is, imagine you are, you're there in the battlefield and the enemy is, as we said, in front of us. And there you are, as you are just now, thinking, I, I can't face this enemy. Look at him. He is terrifying. He is powerful. There are legions against me. And what do I have? I've got nothing. The Lord tells us, take up the armor, the whole armor of God. Okay, the image is you're there and the whole armor is in front of you on the ground. And it's all there for you. Every single piece of armor is laid out for you to make full use of. All provided for you. All in perfect working order. Of course, you'll know this in previous times looking together at these verses. But just to remind ourselves, Paul, of course, is in in prison. We know he's in chains writing these letters, or writing this letter just now at least. And Paul is using imagery that, of course, his listeners would have known very well. He's using the the imagery of a well-equipped Roman soldier. And using the, the imagery of a Roman soldier... Uh, Paul is reminding these, these Ephesians, these Ephesian brothers and sisters, you see how well-equipped they are to deal with the enemy. The Lord God has given you so much more, and his equipment, and, and the equipment he's given you is so much better and so much stronger than anything even the best-equipped Roman soldier has to hand. It's vital for us, it's vital for us to, to, to stop for a second and to, to make the point clear. Although as Christians we can be attacked by the evil one. Although as Christians we, we must, as we said, be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God. We have to acknowledge that as Christians, those who know Jesus, who love Jesus, who serve Jesus, that the evil one will never have us as his own. So we're not saying for a second this evening that if you and I fail to make full use of the armor of God, then we will be lost forever. And there's some who might teach that, and there's some who do, in fact, teach that. that the evil one can triumph and, and have you as his own. Well, that's wrong. But the truth is, if as a Christian this evening, if we're not making full use of the equipment that the Lord gives us, no, we won't be lost. No, we we won't end up with the devil in hell. But our walk will be so much more difficult. Your journey will be so much more of a slog. Your journey through this life, if you do not make full use of the armor of God that he gives to us, it will be so, so difficult. Dear brothers, dear sisters, the Lord gives us his armor out of love, out of care for us. He has given this to us. It is there for you to make use of. If you are struggling this evening, and again, only you know this, if you are struggling with the evil one this evening, if you are finding yourself being dragged back to perhaps uh, habitual or, or pet sins, sins which you can't quite get away from, if you find yourself this evening so attacked in your mind and your soul by the evil one, whatever your circumstances are, you yourself know, but we can 
sure save it. Many of us here know what it is to be attacked by the evil one. Then, with respect, I think it's fair to say that nine times out of ten it's because we're not making full use of the armor of God. You've stopped praying. You've stopped reading God's word. You've stopped fully enjoying what it is to be one of the Lord's people. You've given up. You've taken off part of the armor. There you are in a battlefield with God's full armor given to you. And if you aren't making use of the whole armor of God, the full armor, then every arrow of the devil, every blow of a sword from the evil one, it will hit you. It won't kill you. It won't destroy you. It will hit you. It will hurt you. It will slow you down. Dear brother, dear sister, if you're struggling this evening, if you're struggling this evening, the answer is never try harder or look better. The answer is always come back to Jesus. Come back to the one who has given you the full armor to make full use of. Don't keep struggling on in your own power. You will go down and down and down. Come back to the one who equips you with the full armor to make use of fully. So briefly, what, of course, is the armor? We've covered it, I'm sure, many times before. But just a summary for us. It's good for us to be reminded as to what it is we have in the Lord. What does the fully equipped Christian look like? <clears throat> First of all, we see, of course, uh, moving down uh, to verse 14. Stand therefore. Again, imagine your heads, the image Paul is painting here. You're standing on a battlefield, now fully equipped, standing there in the full armor of God. You put it all on. So what are you wearing? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. One of the enemy's best, with respect, but it mildly most loved tactics is that of lies. The enemy loves lies. Lies to you, lies about the Lord. Whatever lies look like, he loves lies. And again, there's no point being too specific because you alone know yourself, dear brother, dear sister, what it is in your life. But if you've been on the road for any length of time, you will know what it is for the enemy to put these lies in your way. We covered these lies before. Uh, in our time together a few months ago, I think it was, I think it was when we were looking at together and with Christ as a high priest in, in, in Hebrews, we talked to some of the lies the devil uses against us. It's all, it's all in your head. Yes, God is real, but <laughs> you don't know him. You're just a Christian because it's part of the culture you live in. You're just a Christian because you, you grew up in the church. Really, you've been brainwashed. It's all rubbish, anyway. You're reading a book that's 1,000, 3,000 odd years old. It's all rubbish. Rubbish. What do we do when we face the lies of the devil? Do you argue back with your superior intellect? You can try it if you want. It won't last long. He's ancient, he is smart. And smarter than you and I, we take him, as it were, as our Saviour did, to the Word of God. 
to God's truth. Take him to the word of God, to God's truth. When the devil pours down his lies on you, dear brother, dear sister, go to the truth. It's the only thing you can do is go to the word of God. That's why it's so important for you and I to, to know the word, to get to know the word, to know God's promises towards us. So when the devil's lies come before us, we can say, I know that's not true because the Lord tells me this and this and this. Have around you the belt of truth to counteract the lies and the evil of the devil. So that's around us there, holding us together there. What next for us? Belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Of course, there's so much more we could say and so much more we could apply to all these items of equipment. But just, just an overview. The, the breastplate of righteousness. If you're a Christian, if you're such a good Christian, then how come you struggle with these sins? If you're such a good Christian, and how come you made such a mess of your life? How can you say that thing to that person, that thing to that person? You had those thoughts last week, remember? You, you spoke so horribly to that person. You did this, you did that. How on earth can you be a Christian? Says the evil one to us, doesn't he? You're just not good enough, are you? Quite the opposite. In fact, you're, you're awful. You're an embarrassment to, 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 the, to the Savior who's bought you with his blood. And so on, and so on, and so on. To these ongoing lies and attacks of evil one, what do we have? We have a breastplate of righteousness that tells us that, do you know what? He's not wrong. We do make a mess of things. We are at times awful examples, myself included, awful examples of Christians. To our shame we are. But to whose finished work do we cling? To whose righteousness do we hold on to? Whose righteousness, as it were, uh, covers us? Whose assurance do we have? It's not ours. It's that of Christ. When the enemy comes and attacks your assurance, when he reminds you as to your sins and your failings, at times he's right. The truth is, yes, he sees your sins and he sees your failings, but so does the one who saved you, dear Christian. So does your Savior. He saw him from before time itself, and yet he sought you out. He saved you. He calls you his own. When the enemy comes and seeks just to destroy your hope and confidence in the Lord, remember you have that breastplate of righteousness that assures you that your righteousness no longer relies on yourself and your works and your efforts, but instead relies now on the perfect, complete righteousness of our glorious Savior. Moving on briefly and quickly uh, to the shoes on our feet. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, verse 15, given by the gospel of peace. Again, here we have the imagery, and there's a lot we could say about this and a lot to unpack there. But simply, and quite beautifully, this is the imagery, isn't it? We have an Isaiah of 
the, the glorious reality of, of those who have the great privilege of bringing the gospel. And often when, when Satan comes to attack us, when the evil one seeks to destroy us, one of the most beautiful and simple tactics of, of defeating him is sharing the gospel with those who as of yet don't know Jesus. Pretty honest, we're the shoes of mission, we could say. The, the, the shoes of readiness of the gospel, given by gospel peace. Putting on that willingness to go and to share the gospel. The evil one attacks you individually, attacks you as a, as a congregation. Put on, as aware of those shoes of readiness. Be willing to share the gospel. As you share the glorious good news to those around you, the enemy, the enemy can't withstand it. He can't hack it. Uh, and the pulpit is no place for sharing stories, so we won't go into details, but there's times, and yourselves had a faith mission here, even doing the, the free church camps and camps in Hungary and camps in Ukraine over the years. And the faith mission lads themselves, and brothers and sisters, will, will, will share stories too if you ask them. The enemy loves to try and disrupt a good gospel situation. Again, I'm sure your minister will, will, will confirm this too. You'd be shocked and I really mean this, brothers and sisters, you'd be shocked at the level of spiritual oppression that can, ta- that can take place, even the preparation of, of a sermon behind the scenes. The enemy hates when the gospel goes out, hates it, and he will do anything and everything to disrupt that. So what do you do in the face of that? You put on as aware of these gospel shoes and you go and you bring the good news. You share the good news to those who need to hear it. He can do nothing to stop you. He'll distract, he'll try and distress, and so on, but he cannot stop you. Did you stand there battling the enemy? You're pretty much covered body-wise. What's left? There's more. In all circumstances, at all times, and in all ways, take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Dear friends, dear brothers, dear sisters, a reminder here that we have no power. Now we come to face the evil one. How small do we find and how small do we feel our faith? Often he'll attack us on that, won't he? He'll attack us on how useless we are as Christians and how small our faith is and so on and so on. The glorious thing here is that the faith we have here is something the Lord has given to us. Dear brother or dear sister, when or why did you first believe? Did you first believe because you tried really hard to believe? Did you first believe because you really did your work? I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did and praise the Lord you did. But why did you first believe? Why are you here this evening praising and worshipping the Lord? Where is your faith founded? Ephesians 1, uh, speaking, uh, verses 3 and verse 4. Just a reminder to us just now. Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. When did God first know you, dear brother, dear sister? When did he first love you? Even as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ and so on. The faith the Lord gives you is a faith that you can know for certain that you have a God who has known you from before time itself, who has held you, who has kept you up to this point. Uh, this morning, uh, Ian, Reverend McCritchie, in the children's address, there's a, no, no time for details, there's a rock in South Lochs, a standing stone erected in the 80s or 90s. And on that rock, they, they put a wee plaque with Ebenezer, of course, on it. We all know why. And up to this point, the Lord has helped you. Dear Christian, every day of your life, every fight against the evil one, every single second you can say as you're engaged in the spiritual warfare, up until now, the Lord has helped me, has kept me, has sustained me. You have the shield of faith, the faith of knowing the eternal Lord of heaven and earth, the all-knowing sovereign God. He has you. You are his. He has known you from before time itself and he will keep you forever. One day take you home to be with himself. With that hope, with that knowledge, as it were as your shield, you can withstand even the most horrifying attacks of the evil one. As he fires these darts, these arrows into you, these flaming arrows into you, these attacks which can do so much to, to tear you down and destroy you and just ruin your assurance and ruin your joy and ruin your hope. In the face of all these attacks, remember the shield of faith. Remember what it is you believe. What it is you know about the Lord who knows all about you. The helmet. Time is going. The helmet then covers us and completes, we could say, uh, the armor itself and take the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. And the glorious thing about salvation is it's not just a, a, a current experience, is it? You were saved at some point. In your experience, dear brothers and sisters, at some point the Lord intervened in your life and he transformed you. He met you where you were, and we give praise to God for that. But the glorious and wonderful reality of salvation is that salvation is, is ongoing, isn't it? It's a one-time event, yes, but also it's ongoing. Every second of every day, the Lord is keeping you. He is keeping you as his precious uh, child. He is, as it were, saving you. And how often we need that constant, ongoing, saving power of the Lord in our lives. That truth that reminds us that we are safe and secure in Him. And of course, to, to a true Christian, that doesn't make us rest in our laurels. It doesn't help us to relax in terms of our work. The knowledge that we are safe and secure in the Lord, in fact, inspires us to serve Him to glorify him, to worship him that bit more, doesn't it? Finally, the one we have, we could say, offensive weapon we have to our arsenal here of our equipment, the sword of the Spirit, which is, of course, the word of God, putting all times in the Spirit, and so on. 
The one offensive weapon we have here is the sword of the Spirit. Now, one thing to note, although we do have a weapon, we're not told, as it were, to advance into the fray. We're to serve the Lord where we are, to serve Him well. We're not to go and just swing wildly, as it were. We're to stand in the power of the Lord, to remain where the enemy comes towards us. We don't try and engage Him. We engage Him when He comes towards us. We don't, as it were, go looking for a fight with Him. That's not right. It's not wise. When the enemy comes to us, we engage with him. The sword of the Spirit. That last reminder for us as we think of the armor, that we have no power. In and of ourselves, we have no power whatsoever. But the one power we have, the one offensive weapon that we can wield, it's the very Spirit of the Lord himself. And what a glorious hope that is for us this evening. As we fight, as we seek to to fight the evil one, to stand against the evil one, we do it fully and totally in his power, in his strength, in his might. As we bring our time to an end, we can end looking at the last few verses we have here. These last few verses are so important for us not to ignore verses 18 to the end. Of course, we have the, the obvious, but the obvious you'd think, but the point that we often so miss, so, so often miss in our lives as Christians. Praying at all times, well, of course we need to pray, but Christian Do you pray? Do I pray truly at all times? No, we don't. Praying at all times in the Spirit, of all prayer and supplication. But note one thing, two things we could say as time permits. What does Paul remind these Christians to pray? As we fight the battle, with full armor of God on, we fight and we face the evil one. We're told to pray for all the saints, to remember our brothers and sisters, we aren't fighting this battle alone. There's no such thing as a Christian, of course, serving on their own. Yes, we all know the Lord individually. Yes, he saves us individually. But there's no such thing as a lone Christian. You can try it if you want. And I did, I'm sure some here of us who have tried that before, try going it alone, as it were, doing your own thing, thinking the church, as it were, has nothing for you. That you're quite happy just you and the Lord serving him in, in your own way and at your own time. And how quickly and how often that just goes to complete disaster, doesn't it? We're made to serve together. To that end, we should pray for one another. Pray for one another as we serve and battle side by side, all battling the same enemy. And here's one of the reasons why it's so essential we are united together. Why disunity oftentimes caused by our own, our own arrogance. Why disunity is such a danger to the gospel cause that distracts us from the reality we're all fighting the same enemy. When we let personal divisions destroy unity amongst brothers and sisters, we're not just doing a disservice to ourselves, we're actually doing a disservice to the work that's going on to fighting the enemy. We're, we're breaking up the ranks. We're causing issues in the front lines when we should be united together facing the enemy 
in one spirit. But also note one last thing we have from these verses. Making verse 18, end of verse 18, the last phrase. Making supplication for all the saints, yes, verse 19. And also for me, says the Apostle Paul. Praying also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for one another, pray for the saints. Also, can I just say, please pray for your minister. Pray for, well, not saying it's just about Murdo, but to perhaps you are making after Murdo. Pray for your ministers. Pray for those who lead you. Again, this is not a place for stories, and we won't tell them, but just know that there is much spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. And I'm not saying this with any knowledge of anything specific, but I can guarantee that there is spiritual warfare going on every single week, a sermon preparation and ministry work takes place in this congregation. Dear brothers, dear sisters, if the Apostle Paul, working in the full work of the apostles, with the full power of, of what it meant to be an apostle, of all the privilege of an apostle, if he is asking these young Christians in Ephesus to be praying for him, then how much more do we need your prayers? Congregation, please do pray for your minister. Follow the lead of Apostle Paul here as he asks for prayers for his work. Pray for your minister and his work. We all are on the battlefield together. Some on the battlefield have different positions to fight in and different jobs to do on that battlefield. And some face a bit more of the attack than others. So please be in prayer for those who do face, perhaps at times, the brunt of the attack of the evil one. Hard days, sure hard nights too. Like the Apostle Paul tells and, and encourages and asks these Ephesians to do, to pray for him. Well, please be in prayer for those who lead and who guide and who seek to serve you in this place. Now, all of us, of course, the last half hour, 40 minutes, was talking to those here who know the Lord. I want to assure you there is no joy in saying this. Please believe me. There is no joy in saying this. But the truth is that all we've said, of course, applies to the Christians. We say, well, where am I in this then? If you're here tonight and you're saying, well, I don't yet know the Lord. I don't yet, I can't yet say that, that Jesus is mine. I can't yet say that I, I love Jesus. Where am I? Well, the sad and the, to be honest, the, the deeply solemn truth is you are in the front lines. You are in the front lines. But you're not inside of the Lord. You're on the other side. There is no sitting on the fence in these matters. You're either with the Lord or you're against the Lord. You either serve him or you're still at odds against him. And the glorious gospel truth here this evening is that you have something the devil and his angels would never have. They have many things. They have much power, much strength, much wisdom, and everything else, or knowledge at least. 
But you this evening have something we have never had and will never have. You this evening, dear friend, have the offer of salvation given to you. Right now you are fighting against the Lord. And like the devil will one day find out, like he will one day find out to fight against the Lord is a battle you will never win. You will never win. With life, with breath in your lungs, the time the Lord has given you tonight, this evening, God willing, and perhaps a few days this new week. We don't know how long the Lord will give us. Don't waste any time. Stop fighting against the Lord. And come and join His side. Come and know Him. Come and serve Him for yourself. Come and have Him as Lord and God. And he promises to keep you to give you his strength, to fight alongside you, to lead you and to guide you, take you home to himself. Yes, there's a battle for Christians, but the one thing the Christians here know, all the many years we will battle against the evil one and his plans. The glorious truth is, the Lord wins. We know the end. The end of the battle is not somehow a mystery to us. We know the end of the warfare. We know the Lord wins. We know how this all goes in the end. At the end of days, our genuine desire, our genuine hope, our prayer, our genuine prayer is that you would be with the Lord in glory, having fought, as it were, the good fight, having stood your ground to the end, being fully equipped in the whole armor of God. Let's bow our heads now, a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Help us, Lord, to apply all we heard this evening, not just to be uh, healers, Lord, but to be doers, to truly understand what it is to put on the full armor of God, to understand fully what it is to, uh, to be strong in your strength, to stand in your might, to have no hope but your eternal hope, to have no strength but your eternal strength. Lord, bless your people as we fight against the evil one day after day. Encourage us and help us. Be with us, Lord, we ask. Help us to make full use of the great, glorious gift of the armour you've given us. Pray again for those who as of yet do not know you, Lord. You bring them to a saving knowledge of yourself, even this evening. We ask all these things, in and through and for Christ, in his precious name's sake. Amen. We can uh, bring our time of worship this evening to a conclusion by singing to God's praise. Uh, again, singing from Psalm 116. We just sing uh, from verses 13 uh, down to verse 19. I wrote verse 9, but we sing from verse 13. Psalm 116 and verse 13. I love salvation, take the cup. On God's name will I call. I'll pay my vows now to the Lord before his people all. Dear in God's sight is his saints' death. Thy servant, Lord, am I. Thy servant, sure, thine handmaid son, my bands thou didst untie. Uh, Psalm 116, verses 13 to the end, uh, to God's praise.
Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, both you now and forevermore. Amen.